0: morning Spring Hills. Hey, it's great to be here today. Um, I don't know why Brett talked about the 49ers. Is there a football game today? Okay, anyway, yeah, so wonderful to be here, and I really mean that, you know, a lot of times pastors come and they'll speak at different churches. It's great to be here today, you know. I really mean it, though, okay, so, and it really is great to be here. You know what, uh, uh, I really do appreciate Brett. We, As he said, we've been friends for over 20 years. I mean, with Brett, you get an incredible pastor, a drummer and uh you know 49er whatever you know super fan i guess so anyway i uh, i am a pastor at Santa Rosa Christian Church i we have we uh been there for about 8 years now and we have uh, lots of i have lots of friends here i'm looking out seeing a lot of you going yeah and some of you maybe new friend friends come up to me and say hey barney good to see you and i go uh, cuz i'm You know, there's 2,000 of you and only, you know, one of me. And I go, yeah, good to see you too, bro. So, yeah. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for Spring Hills Community Church. Thank you, Lord, for the way that you work through them uniquely in our county. Lord, I just pray a blessing on them. I pray you bless Pastor Brett and Eve. I pray you bless every single person here today and touch them in an amazing way with um, your love. And Father, I just pray that as we open your word now, you'll open our hearts to receive it. And uh, Holy Spirit, we ask you and invite you to speak to each one individually. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So in June of 2012, uh, a South Dakota man, 73-year-old South Dakota man named Carl Erickson, was um, sentenced to life in prison for murder. And it actually came out of something. Actually, the community was shocked because he was a, a successful insurance salesman. He had been married for over uh, 40, 44 years. And all of this sprang out of the murder, sprang out of a resentment that he had held to for over 50 years. The man he shot was a former classmate named Norman uh, Johnson, and Johnson was the star athlete of the school. Erickson, on the other hand, was basically just the water boy. And there was a prank one day that Johnson pulled on Erickson when he stuck a jockstrap over his head. And Erickson never forgot it. Erickson held on to this grudge for more than 50 years. And he walked up to Erickson's house, rang the doorbell. I mean, I'm sorry, he walked up to Johnson's house, rang the doorbell. And when Johnson answered, Erickson pulled out a gun and killed him. Now... You're going, thank you for the bright, cheery story this morning. But I think this shows us the extent that we are capable of when we refuse to forgive. You know, resentment is like a cancer that will destroy us as surely as the deadliest disease. And so, I think this series is so important on relationships matter because, I mean, when you think about relationships, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are the ones that have the original relationship. But relationships matter and forgiveness, which is what we're going to talk about today, it's a huge part of any healthy relationship. Because in every relationship, whether it's marriage, whether it's with our children, whether it's at work, whether it's just in the community as a whole, our neighbors, in every relationship, People are going to wrong us, and we're going to wrong them. And so we need to understand forgiveness. Learning to let go of grudges and choosing to forgive is vital in life. And so this morning, we want to talk about it. We want to understand what forgiveness is, and maybe even more importantly, what forgiveness is not. We're going to look at a story that Jesus told. It's found in Matthew chapter 18, and it begins with a question. Then Peter approached him and asked, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? It's funny that he says, how many times must I do it? Do I have to do it? I tell you, not as many as seven, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. Now, I imagine Peter was feeling pretty magnanimous about you know, this point. Because the rabbis taught that you only had to forgive someone three times. So Peter says, hmm. How about seven times, Lord? Look at how wonderful I am. And Peter said, uh-uh. I mean, Jesus said, uh-uh, Peter, you're setting the bar way too low. I'm we're, I'm talking about forgiving somebody 70 times seven. Now, I'm not the greatest math student in the world, so what's how much is 70 times seven? 490 times. So that's the magic number. My friend Bruce is here. So let's just suppose, you know, Bruce, you know, I've offended... I'll be the bad guy, okay, Bruce? I've offended Bruce... Four hundred and eighty-nine times. So Bruce goes, comes to me and says, "Ha ha, Barney, I've only got to forgive you one more time." Is that what Jesus is saying? No, he's just saying, "Look, it's, it needs to be unlimited," and he's going to explain why. Okay. In uh, now, let me. I got. I do have to ask this. How How do you suppose that would sound to the people that were listening for the first time? Wow. I mean, this is radical. It's 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 maybe even crazy. So, Jesus explains it. He does what he loves to do. He tells stories. He says, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle accounts, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought before him. Since he did not have the money to pay it back, his master commanded that he, his wife, his children, and everything he had be sold to pay the debt. Now, you got to think about this. It says he, this, this king, this man comes to a king, he owes him 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents is 375 tons. Now, I'm assuming it's silver because gold would be just too astronomical, but it, it were, it's, it was, this would be hundreds of millions of dollars. So how's he going to resolve it? Well, the king says he's going to you know, sell him, his family, his, everything he has to pay back, back part of it. I mean, that was a common custom. At least he's going to get something out of it. So verse 26, let's see what happens. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay you everything. Now, let me ask you a question. Is that ever going to happen? No. So what would you expect the king to do? Are you kidding me? Stop wasting my time. Take him, to, take him to prison or take him to the auction block. Verse 27, here's what happened, though. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him, and forgave him the loan. Now, this must have been almost as shocking as his original statement, 40, 490 times. Did this servant deserve forgiveness? In any way, I mean, he's embezzled probably hundreds of millions of dollars. No, he, this man, the king, that's forgiving the debt. This is one hundred percent grace. Now, there's a class that Brett's going to be teaching soon called Core, I guess. And and I, I just heard, this is the first time I've heard about it. But anyway, those of you it, I'm sure one of the core things he's going to talk about is grace. Anybody know what the word grace means? It means undeserved favor. Somebody doing a favor for you that you do not deserve. Wow. Now, wouldn't it be nice if the story ended here? And it was a summary statement where Jesus said, So the servant, overwhelmed with gratitude, never forgot his master's kindness, and for the rest of his life modeled forgiveness to others. And they all lived, what, happily ever after. Okay, so let's go watch Steel Magnolias, dude, hold hands and sing Kumbaya. No, I mean, the purpose of Jesus' stories is not to give us a warm, fuzzy feeling. The purpose of this story is to convict us and to hit us where we really need it in our struggle to forgive others. So let's see what happens in the story. That servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. He grabbed him and started choking him and said, pay back what you owe. At this, his fellow servant fell down and began begging him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. Now, I love the way Jesus just, he tells stories. It's like, you know, here this, this guy comes in. I mean, this is comedy. And he says, you know, pay back what you, she begins to choke him. Pay back what you owe. I just picture that in my mind. And uh, he owes him 100 denarii. Now, this is not a small amount. This is 100 days wages. But compared to what he owes the king, there's no comparison. Considering how much he's been forgiven of hundreds of millions of dollars debt, what would you expect him to do? Forgive his fellow servant. Instead, it says, but he wasn't willing. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. Well, that makes sense. He can pay it back from prison. When When the other servants saw what had taken place, they were deeply distressed and went and reported to their master everything that had happened. They are so nauseated by his behavior that they go and form the king. So let's see the rest. Then after he had summoned him, the master said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything that was owed so also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Bet you wish that last verse wasn't in there, right? Wow. How serious is forgiveness to God? How does he view it? Well, it's probably not too hard to figure out in the story here who is this, what the story is. The king represents who? Okay, it's up there, so, you know, we can, you know, figure it out, I think, you know. I'll spell it if you want me to. The king is who? God. Who's the first servant? All of us. And the second servant is? Those who wrong us. See, you guys can read. I knew it. Now, the point is this. We have been forgiven of so much by God. Who are we? How can we possibly not forgive others? no matter how much someone wrongs me, it can never start to begin to come close to what God's done for me. So let's make three observations from this story. first observation is what the basis of the story is, and that is God's forgiveness is the basis or the foundation of our forgiveness. When we understand how much we're forgiven, that enables us to forgive others. Now, for a king to forgive like this in the story was beyond the realm of anything anyone had ever heard. And I think that's why Jesus chose such a ridiculous amount. I believe, I mean, it's arguable, but I believe that when we forgive someone, we are maybe more like God at that point than any other time. Because forgiveness is not something that is innate to our sinful nature, is it? Yeah, we've been forgiven far more than any amount of money could represent. Just suppose you piled, for a moment, you piled up my sins right here. I don't just mean the biggies, whatever they are, but I mean just like every lie I've ever told, every time I've ever lusted, every evil thought, every impure motive, every time I've been jealous of someone else, and on and on we go. You're, you're talking about a mountain of sin. Could I ever do enough deeds, good deeds, to erase that mountain of sin? Could I ever come up with enough money to say, okay, God, I'm going to pay you off and I'm going to bribe you to get rid of my sins? it, It doesn't exist. It can't happen like the servant in the story. I can never pay back my debt. So you know what God did for me? No big deal. He sent his son, and Jesus paid my debt on the cross he paid for every sin I've ever committed and ever will commit past present and future just like the king in the story it's all grace it's an, a favor I don't deserve 100% and so since I let me ask the question again since I've been forgiven of so much who am I to refuse to forgive somebody of some paltry thing no matter how big it feels So forgiveness is the basis. I mean, God's forgiveness is the basis of our forgiveness. The second observation I want to make is that refusing to forgive enslaves or tortures us. You notice verse 34 and 35 once again. Because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back everything that was owed. So also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. Now, I don't know how it works, but somehow our forgiveness we receive from God hinges on how we forgive others. I don't like that, but it's true. In fact, he goes and says, I want you to notice, he says in the verse before that, he says, the king handed him over to the jailers to be tortured. You go, wow, well, what does that mean? How am I tortured? Well, like my story at the beginning, with the man that held the grudge for over 50 years. He was tortured for 50 years. When we refuse to forgive, there are consequences. And those consequences of not forgiving others torture us. When we refuse to forgive someone, we step into our own personal torture chamber. Dr. S.I. McMillan, who's a medical doctor, has written a, a, a great book based on it's called None of These Diseases. It's actually a, a book of, of it's evidences of medical statements that are found in the Bible and the truth there. No, I want you to notice this this is about forgiveness. The moment I start hating a man, I become his slave. I cannot enjoy my work anymore because he even controls my thoughts. My resentments produce too many stress hormones. In my body, I become fatigued after only a few hours of work. The man I hate may be miles from my bedroom, but more cruel than any slave driver, he whips my thoughts into such a frenzy that my inner spring mattress becomes a rack of torture. I really must acknowledge that I am a slave to every man on whom I pour out my wrath. Refusing to forgive enslaves us and tortures us and God knows that it'll eat me alive and destroy me and God loves us enough to say you want me to forgive you then you forgive others you know when I someone wrongs me and I refuse to forgive and hold on to this grudge it just I'm just feeding it kind of like you know We love to hold on to a grudge, don't we? You know, just our little, here's our little pet, you know, my grudge. It's like, oh, that person did this to me. And the more I think about it, it gets bigger. It's my precious, you know. And it gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And pretty soon it's got its tentacles wrapped around my heart and my mind. Maybe you heard the story about the guy that went to a doctor and... uh, He got bit by a dog, and the doctor did some tests and says, Sir, you have rabies. And the man immediately began writing, starting writing things down. And he says, Oh, sir, you don't need to make out a will. There's a cure for rabies. And he says, I'm not making out a will. making out a list of people I want to bite. (laughs) Here's the thing about resentment. When I have resentment against somebody, what does it do to the other person? Probably nothing. You know, I'll show you, I'm going to be angry and miserable the rest of your, my, my life, and I'm going to punish you for that. Okay. Meanwhile, the other person is going about their merry way. Maybe they don't even remember what happened. And let me tell you, that is torture. And God wants me to be free. You say, but what, what they did was wrong. I'm sure it was but they hurt me so badly. I'm sure they did. They deserve to pay. Yes, they probably do, but that's not the point. The point is, do you want to be free? Then choose to forgive and start the healing process. Maybe you've heard the statement, and we're going to come back and we're talking about the process in just a second. But maybe you've heard the statement that resentment is like po- drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. A pastor named uh, Battle Barrett Baxter was traveling on a on a pl- uh, airplane with a man next to him, and um, The man was blind. He was a business executive. The the blind man was very upbeat and positive. And the the subject came up about his blindness. And the man told him, he said that uh, a competitor of mine employed a gangster to throw acid in my face. He said, Dr. Baxter asked, do you know who it was? He said, yes, but I couldn't prove it in court. Well, don't you feel terrible resentment toward him? He said, I did for years, but it dawned on me that I was doing myself the real injury. I forgave this man and have actually done him some favors in recent years. And he went on to talk about how it had really changed his life. You know, when you can live like that, you're free. But if we don't, get ready for the torture chamber. So here's the third thing we want to spend the rest of our time doing, and that is talking about understanding forgiveness. And like I said in the beginning, it's really important to understand what forgiveness is not. Okay, forgiveness, first of all, is not a feeling. It's a choice. Now, sometimes in my ministry, I've been a pastor for more than 40 years. I've had people come to me through the years, so many people, and say, here, this person's wronged me. Will you need to forgive them. I'm not ready to forgive. Well, what does that mean? Well, I don't feel like it. Okay, you're probably never going to feel like it. But feeling is not, forgiveness is not a feeling. We choose to forgive, and then God goes to work on healing our feelings. Let me say that again. We choose to forgive, and then God goes to work on healing our feelings. Clara Barton was the founder of the American Red, uh, Red Cross. And one day a friend of hers came to her and began talking about some really hurtful thing that a person had done to her in the past, somebody else. And Clara Barton didn't say a word. And Fred said, don't you remember that? And Clara Barton said, no, I distinctly remember forgetting it. Now, we have a saying, don't we? Forgive and forget. Now, that's not what we're saying, and that's not what she's saying. You're not going to forgive and forget. It needs to be like maybe forgive and shut up. You know, if, if, if somebody hurts your family, a family member kills a family member, you're not going to go, oh, I don't remember that. No, it's not going to happen. So forgiveness is a, it's not a feeling, it's a choice. Secondly, forgiveness is not saying it's okay. Well, all right, it's okay. You know, I guess I better pretend it never happened. You know, it's not minimizing it at all. There's a huge difference between excusing what somebody did and forgiving what someone did. Like I said, if somebody kills a loved one of yours, a family member, it's not okay. And it's never going to be okay. And you don't have to be saying, well, it's okay when you forgive someone. Thirdly, forgiving is not necessarily restoring a relationship. If you're in business with someone and they continually are embezzling money and they finally go to prison and get out of prison and they come to you and go, hey, okay, let's get back in business again, you know, if it was me, I'm probably going to say, no, you know what, I forgive you, but our business relationship is done. That's a whole separate thing. Or, you know, when, when, when things like that happen. The we That's the issue of trust. And trust and forgiveness are not the same thing. You can forgive somebody but say, I, I don't trust you. Because tru- forgiveness is about the past. Trust is about the future. Sometimes in the process of forgiveness, and it is a process, you have to set boundaries with people. You have to allow a person to experience consequences. If you've got a spouse that's been, you know, cheating multiple times in your marriage. Or you have, and they go, well, forgive me. Well, you have to take me back, you know, after 10 times. No, it's like there's a difference or if, you know, a spouse is struggling, you know, or not struggling but just in addiction and they just keep making promise after promise and breaking it, after a while you can say, we're setting some boundaries here. We're going to put some distance between us for a while. So we need to understand these are things that sometimes we misunderstand about forgiveness, what forgiveness is not. But here's what I want us to, to think about. Here's what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is a choice to surrender the person and the situation to God for Him to deal with. I give up my human response to get even. Okay, and I don't minimize it. Oh, well, happen. I shouldn't feel like this. You know, we get alone with God and pour out our heart. I think it does. But... It's not up to me to get even. Now we all have an innate sense of justice. You know, if two little kids are fighting, you know, you step in. And what, what's one I'm gonna, always going to say? He started it. Yeah, he hit me first. Now, that, at the heart of that lies our sinful nature. But at the same time, we have a God-given sense of justice. Satan twists into revenge. Let me give you an example. I was talking with a brother down here. Is it Bill, I think? No, About like Clint Eastwood like movies. Like you know, if you're watching a Clint Eastwood movie, and this bad guy just keeps doing all these horrible things, and they do he does things to Clint as Clint's character. What do you want to see Clint do? Pull out his 357 Magnum and blow the guy away, right? I'm not saying that's what Jesus suggests. But that is is I don't know how to separate it necessarily, but, but there's a sense of justice in that, 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 you know, it twists it around with our sinful nature. And here's the problem. I am not in a place when someone wrongs me, I cannot fairly evaluate it. I can't come along and say, you know, okay, I'm the fair judge. I'm not. So I, when I take justice into my own hands, instead of giving it to God to handle, I, it's not Right? So instead, what I do is I give up my human response to get even, and I entrust it to God. Like I said, don't minimize it. I get alone with God, and I pour out my heart. I scream, I cry, I do whatever I have to do to just get it out. And I may have to do it several times. Romans chapter 12. Oh, let me see here just a second. Oh, yeah, I got hit of myself for sure. Okay, this, this is a, from a book called The Cure. It's a great book that explains the process of forgiveness, okay? And I think this is important. It says, forgiveness has an order. We must initiate the vertical transaction with God before we can move into the horizontal transaction with another. First before God. I forgive the offenders for what they've done and the consequences they've borne in my life. This is before God and me, and it is for my sake. It does not let anyone off the hook. It does not excuse any action. It does not restore relational forgiveness to the other. This is the vertical transaction. It is a choice to free myself to begin healing Trusting God's character, strength, love, and protection, I place the entire list of consequences and loss into his hands. This is a big decision. It's a scary, beautiful, overwhelming moment of trust. I'm giving up my rights to decide what is best for that person or myself. I'm handing the case over to the only judge who can see the entire story. Now, that's a long quote, but there's a lot of truth in it. It can kind of be summed up in this one scripture right here, Romans 12, 19. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath because it is written, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay, says the Lord. I want you to notice God says, I will repay. I don't have to worry about taking justice into my own hands. God's going to take care of it. And when he does... It's not going to be pretty. I remember it was several decades ago. Somebody really wronged me. I was I was living in a totally different state, and man, I got it was big time. It was a really big thing, and I um, I hated this person, and I'm not proud to say this, but I I remember fantasizing about ways I could hurt him. Well, I let it go. I had to choose to forgive for my own sake, and I got to tell you, over the years, I've seen what's happened or heard reports about what's happened to this guy, and I actually feel a lot of compassion for him. God says, I will repay. We entrust the person and the situation to God. I think the batteries are going out on this. Are you guys able to advance the slide? I didn't turn it off accidentally, did I? Okay, here we go. For you were called to this, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. That word entrusted lies at the core of forgiveness, We entrust the person and the situation to God. Friends, when you need the power to forgive, we need to focus on the cross. Think of what Jesus went through. He was mocked, he was beat. He was spit upon. He was denied every form of justice. He was scourged with a whip of of cords with bone and metal in it that just tore his body up until it says in Isaiah, I believe, that he was no longer recognizable as a human being. And then they nailed him up to two pieces of wood and left him there to die. And what were the first words out of Jesus' mouth? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Hmm. I'd say that's a pretty good model of forgiveness. You want to go to the next slide if we need to? Is it Okay. Here's some action points quickly as we wind things down. First of all, accept the fact that it's not fair what the other person did to you. Someone wrongs you, they deserve to pay. They deserve justice. But forgiveness means I give up my right, in a sense, to take justice, to get even, I surrender him to God and trust Him to take care of it. Secondly, focus on the cross. Stop thinking about how much we've been wronged, and let's think about how much we've been forgiven. Let me say that again. Let's think, and that goes back to our story. Let's, let's forget about what we've been wrong, how we've been wrong, but let's focus on how much we've been forgiven. And then, thirdly, ask God to give you the power to forgive, because there are some things we cannot do under our own power. Most of you probably know or many of you know who Corey Ten Boom was. She wrote a, her autobiography called The Hiding Place in which she shares a story about how as, as she was growing up world, during World War II, they would hide Jews from the Nazis. Well, they got caught and she was sent to a, a Nazi prison camp, endured all kinds of torture there. Eventually, she was released and she went around for years speaking in different venues in America and in Europe, and on one occasion, a man came up to her, and as soon as she saw him, she just froze inside because this man had been the guard at the prison camp that would oversee and watch the women as they took their showers, and he would just stand there glaring at them with an evil smile on his face. He came to her and said, thank you for your message, Fraulein. He didn't remember her. Thank you for your message, Fraulein. And I just want you to know that Jesus has washed all my sins away. And he held out his hand. And she writes this. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing. Not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder along my arm and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him, while into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that when he tells us to forgive our enemies, he gives along with the command, the love itself. I'm not saying that it's always going to happen instantaneously. I I, I don't know that You know, that doesn't happen very often, but it is true that God does give us the power to forgive when we trust him. Now, one more issue I need to deal with as I close. Sometimes people say, I can forgive everybody else, but I can't forgive myself. Who says you're supposed to? You know, you read through the Bible, and the Bible never says to forgive yourself, that's a lot of pressure. I got to forgive myself. What the Bible says instead is God's already forgiven you. And all you need to do is just receive His forgiveness. Let God forgive you. That's a whole lot better than saying I got to forgive myself. First John chapter one and verse nine says, "If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So I'm going to pray a prayer right now. Maybe you've never asked God's forgiveness for your sins. Or maybe you've done it a hundred times, a thousand times. We're going to do it one more time right now. Lord God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on the cross. Thank you that you forgive me and have forgiven me of every sin. I believe you're the Son of God and that you died for me. And right now, Lord, I ask you to forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, and I receive it. I trust you and I thank you right now for your forgiveness. In the name of Jesus, amen.